Christopher McCandless said, The very basic core of man's living spirit is his passion for adventure. The joy of life comes from our encounters with new experiences, and hence there is no greater joy than to have an endlessly changing horizon for each day to have a new, different sun. My guest, Sasha Lezhnev, is someone who thrives on the endlessly changing horizon. From traveling in an RV for a year and slow traveling several weeks at a time the following year, Sasha and his family are always on the pursuit for their next adventure. Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Bushman, and I am the host of Journey with Jake. I am once again very blessed and fortunate to speak with another adventure seeker and just an outstanding human being. Sasha Lezhnev, and my apologies, Sasha, for butchering your last name, is someone who just embraces adventure. You will love the energy that Sasha brings to the conversation. We talk about some crazy mountain hikes and his wild wedding that included parasailing. I think one of the things I love about Sasha are the simple moments as well. What could be better than participating in a cherry spitting contest? Welcome to Journey with Jake. This is a podcast about adventure and how through our adventures we can overcome the challenges of life that come our way. While I expect you will learn some things about different adventures, this show will entertain you. Each episode will feature a different guest or guests as they share experiences and stories from the different adventures they have been on. Not only will you be entertained, but you will also hear the failures and trials each guest faces and what they have done or are doing to overcome the hardships that come their way. My goal is to take each of us on a journey through the experiences of my guests with the hope that you'll be entertained and inspired to overcome your day-to-day challenges. After all, it's not all about the destination as it is about the journey. Welcome back to another episode of Journey with Jake. We are on episode number 71 today. First, if you want to reach out to me to talk about an adventure or something adventurous you participate in, or heck, just to say hi, there are a couple easy ways to get in touch with me. First, by email. My email is jake at journeywithjake.net, or you can DM me on Instagram at journeywithjakepodcast. I would highly suggest following me on Instagram just as a way to get to know me a little better, as well as my guests. As most of you know, I am just a couple months away now from participating in the Snow Canyon Half Marathon in St. George, Utah. While I was really excited to do my first ever half marathon last June, I am just as excited for this one, because I feel a lot more prepared. And I feel that way thanks in part to Jacob and Melody Bateman, who are running coaches, and they are helping me to feel prepared. Melody has given me some strength workouts to do after my runs, and the difference I feel while I run, especially on my long runs, has been huge. If you want a little extra push or need some guidance with your runs, please reach out to Jacob and Melody. You can find more information by visiting trailto100.com, and be sure to let them know Jake from Journey with Jake sent you. All right, let's get to some energy and fun for my guest, Sasha. Well, I'm excited today because I have Sasha Lesnef, I hope I said that right. I have him on the show today with me. Sasha, welcome to Journey with Jake. Thank you so much, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for what you're doing. And I know you just launched a new website. You're writing a book. You got all kinds of fun things. You're an adventurer. 
of all kinds, travel mostly, but a lot of different things that you do while traveling. And I want to hit on some of those things. You talk a lot about being off the beaten trail, so to speak, finding hidden gems. So we're going to touch on some of that. But like I always do on the show, I want to know a little bit about your background first and kind of who you are, if you don't mind introducing yourself and who you are. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up, I'm, I'm Sasha. Thanks again for having me on. I, I grew up in a boring suburb of Washington, D.C., to, to which I moved back to now, where that's where I'm doing the podcast from now. Uh, we always do those things later in life that we promise ourselves never to do again. My parents took me on a bunch of um, what I deemed very boring trips when I was a kid. We went, we visited a bunch of churches and museums and art galleries, and I was like bored to death and only child. And then one day they took me to scout camp. I really hated it at first, but then I really thrived. It was like pushing the comfort boundaries right away. They dropped me off and uh, they were like, good luck. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And this is one of those scout camps where you literally have to build everything from scratch, everything from the bathroom to the kitchen to like, there was nothing set up. We went to a virgin forest and built everything and then tore it all down on me. When we went home, I went, I kept going back to that camp and and then did uh, my first backpacking adventure when I was 10. The backpack was probably bigger and heavier than I was. And I nearly froze to death. It was it went got down to the 20s that night. I think that sort of started my thirst and love for the outdoors. So I've been trying to do a lot of that over the years. I have a background in human rights in Africa. I lived in Uganda for three years doing conflict resolution work. And I started a nonprofit that um, helps uh, rehabilitate former child soldiers there, still going 16 years later. And, and that was an amazing experience. Uh, my wife is from Ethiopia. And so we go there pretty regularly to see her family. And I've worked a lot on the Democratic Republic of Congo. I helped found a, a movement on something like the new blood diamonds called Conflict Minerals, which go into electronics. So I, I've traveled a lot in these kind of funny countries. I, I love it. You know, it's so interesting. It pushes your 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 comfort zone. A friend of mine told me one time who who I used to live with said, you know, do one thing every day that gets you out of your comfort zone, and that'll make you a cooler person. And so since then, I've really tried to take that to heart. And and you know, we go on a lot of adventures. But my my wife and I quit our full time jobs two years ago to travel full time, uh, mostly in the United States. We we bought an RV called Lazy Days. <laughs> and we towed a, a Jeep Wrangler behind it. And so we would stop in all these places and, and take the Jeep out and go off-roading. And it, it's been wonderful. We hit 44 states. And then we we, uh, we did a second year, ran out of money after one year, not working. <laughs> and so then we we decided to work I part-time, my wife full-time, but remotely for a second year. And then we... Um, we have been doing that for the last year is like spending a month at a time in different places, you know, renting an Airbnb and you get major discounts if you rent uh, monthly. And so we lived like in these places for a month at a time that we like, maybe we'll move to one day. So it's like Montana, Seattle, Portland, several spots in, in California, Colorado, Santa Fe, a bunch of places, Hawaii. And that's been really fun. So yeah. And we, we, we're, we moved back home now to Northern Virginia, but we're, we're, uh, we're planning Many more trips. We got three planned and, and, a, and a fourth one in the works. So um, wow. adventure is definitely not going to stop now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got a very diverse background as far as travel and where you've been. Your wife, you said, is Ethiopian. Did you meet her in Africa or where did you meet her? No, we met in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of uh, we share a love for Africa. I, I, 
one one day I when I was dating people, I, I, I sort of wrote down a list of like, these are the must haves. And one of the must haves <laughs> was like, this person must have a love for Africa. Cause I just, you know, I lived there for three years. I went to Sierra Leone during the war. I helped build a school in Ghana, traveled all over Congo. And I was like, I can't, you know, so I, I so I was just looking for people that were into Africa in some way. And, and so it was a perfect, perfect fit. I was going to say, yeah, that's pretty into Africa if she's Ethiopian, I would say. <laughs> you got it. Absolutely. That's very cool. And what's your wife's name? Her name is Minyot. 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 Okay, very good. Minyot. You got the tough last name for me to say. She's got the tough first name. Minyot. Okay. <laughs> How did you get involved with Africa to begin with? Uh, you know, I studied international relations in college, kind of really into Europe. At that time, and somebody introduced me to sort of development work in Africa. And I was like, wow, I could use all my skills to actually help people. Then I went over to Ghana to build a school. It was like a junior summer abroad kind of thing. So I went there, we helped build a school, and I, I nearly died. <laughs> that was pretty wild. I, I contracted some sort of a stomach bug to which they have never found the uh, the real diagnosis of. I did all kinds of scans, but I, they were about to operate me, operate on me at a hospital in Ghana, and then the electricity went out. So the whole hospital was without electricity, didn't have a generator, nothing. And they're like, "Well, I'm sorry, we can't operate. There's no power, so you have to wait till the morning. So we'll hope you'll be okay." And I just, I said a bunch of prayers. I was like, oh my God. And that was way before cell phones. This is in 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. I woke up next morning and they're like, you know what? You don't need surgery. Actually, the thing that we thought you had, you don't have. So just recover and you'll be okay. And that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> but the, it really opened up my eyes so much to the level of uh, poverty and and neglect that and, and exploitation that has happened um, in Africa. And so we really wanted to go back. And so then I moved to Uganda. I got a, a like a research job to just, you know, sort of look at the causes of the war in Northern Uganda, which was at the time 25,000 child soldiers that were there. And so that was amazing. And then one thing led to another. And then I founded this organization. Once you sort of meet you know, uh, someone who's a child soldier or somebody who has been raped repeatedly by uh, rebel commanders or something like that it just can't get out of your head. You got to kind of really, uh, it, it, it stays with you. And so I wanted to do something to to help out. And so, yeah, I founded this organization 16 years ago and I've been going back and, and then working on human rights um, on Africa ever since. So, yeah. Wow. So tell me the name of that organization again. It's something with the child soldiers, right? Yes, it's called Grassroots Reconciliation Group. It's a very not catchy name, but it tells you exactly what we do. We're, we're very much at the grassroots level it, working in these communities. We don't have like a center. We actually work like where the people live at the grassroots level. And reconciliation is like, you know, we're, we're helping reconcile them with their communities because a lot of them get ostracized and stigmatized and then group. Yeah, so that's it. Grassroots Reconciliation Group. And I know we're, we're going to jump into the travel adventure, but th th this piqued my interest just with what you're doing with this organization, because I think it's, it's pretty incredible. What is considered a child soldier then? What's kind of like the definition of what is it that they consider a child soldier? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, anyone who's really under 16 or 18, maybe, who's been forced by the most part 
to participate in, in, in rebel groups or armies, you know, they don't necessarily have to use a gun. A lot of them are forced to kill people. Um, some of them are forced to perform other tasks like carry equipment for miles and miles, or a lot of them are raped repeatedly. Some of these young girls are given to commanders as so-called wives, and then they have children, and those children are, you know, they call them um, children born of war, and those are really um, very, very tough situations. So we, we, we deal with a lot of those a lot of those people, but, you know, there's is a, many ways to help them build up their lives again. A lot of it is through little small economic projects. So farming and animal husbandry and microfinance, we train them to be entrepreneurs. And a lot of them start small businesses. We founded over 300 small businesses. And then a lot of it is trauma counseling too. We have a a trauma counselor, we train different counselors in those communities. So, you know, it, it's a joy. I, I love to go visit. I was I was able to go visit last year again. And that's it just, you know, so heartening to meet these people and hear their transformation stories. Several people told me that they were suicidal. And, and, you know, our organization basically brought them out of the darkness. Other people were refugees. We also work with refugees and these people left south sudan which there's war going on with nothing and they now they now have an income they're able to send their kids to school because you have to pay like small school fees and pay uniforms and that sort of thing so so i I love visiting I, i i try not to spend the money on my own plane tickets because i could then you know for fifteen hundred dollars or whatever it costs to fly all the way to uganda I could just donate that money to the organization. So I try to do that. So I try, I try not to go too often because it's selfish, but it is, it's, it's so wonderful to go see, see the impact. And we actually have a former child soldier who's running um, the projects on the ground now, which is, which is so inspiring. That is fantastic. Wow. I'm, I'm really impressed. I kind of just peeked out a little bit of that, you know, when I was doing a little research on you and that was just impressive. I mean, just what you're doing. And so thank you for doing that. I think that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump into kind of your your full-time traveling a little bit. Off the Beaten Travels kind of, I think that's the name of your your website. Is that your new website? Is it offthebeatentravel.com? You you got it. You got it. It's caught caught your tongue. (laughs) Caught my tongue. Offthebeatentravel.com. Love it. Very good. So for you, when you think of the word, you know, full-time traveler, what does that mean to you? What is a full-time traveler? Uh, I think, you know, for us, it's it's either... I, I mean, it's it's basically you're just you know on the move as much as you can be. You know, for for our first year of full time travel, we were moving around every two or three days to a new place. That was very intense and but amazing. We saw so many places as you as you can see on the website. And then over the last year, we were doing more slow travel, which was still I think full time travel. You know, we were doing like a month at a time. You know, so we rented our house. We didn't have like a full, uh, like a home base per se. Everyone was every every stop was a base. So so that you know, and and some people do that, like they move around yearly or you know whatever. It's it's been so inspiring meeting people on the road, especially in Mexico. That was like really eye opening. You saw the the level of adventure go up a lot more when we when we RV'd to Mexico. And these people, like they had been all the way down to Argentina in their RV or, you know, that this guy like knocked on the door of um, El Chapo's house in Mexico. <laughs> you know, obviously El Chapo was in jail, but he's just like, I wanted to see the compound. So, 
you know, <laughs> it's so inspiring to meet people who are way more adventurous than you. In fact, like my wife and I have toyed the, the idea of doing our own podcast of kind of like yours, like interviewing adventurers uh, around sure. the world. So, yeah. Very good. And let's kind of flow into that because we, you touched on adventure. What does adventure mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think adventure can be uh, just something a little bit out of your comfort zone. I, I think that, you know, you don't need to go climb Mount Everest to say you're an adventurer. I think that just taking a different path to work or, you know, doing a little hike on Saturday morning or going to a restaurant with, you know, some ethnic cuisine that you've never tried before, all that is really adventure. You, you don't need a lot of money to do adventure and you don't need a lot of, you know, exotic places to do adventure. Adventure is possible anywhere you go. I think it's just doing something that is not your routine where, where you're sort of, you know, sleepwalking doing it. It's something that you, that you are very conscious of and you are aware, much more aware than you would be just sort of brushing your teeth in the morning, something that you, and that's what I love about travel and adventure is that it wakes you up. It makes you feel alive. You know, we, we kayaked down the Colorado river with my kid for a few days. And, and that was exactly one of those moments, like totally out of our comfort zone, but it was amazing and everybody adjusted fine. And it was, it was a great adventure, but there were, there were many others. You said you had a kid, so I didn't even get to that part. So you're married to your wife, and you have a one child, two children. How many children do you have? Yeah, we have a, a, a little guy who started kindergarten this week. So yeah. Oh wow. Uh, okay. Oh, so, soon be six. Soon be six. Very good. Soon be six year old. So he's been with you then as you've done these travels the last couple of years. Oh yeah, he was he was one third of our crew. <laughs> <laughs> How did school work for him? Uh, well, I hope we, I'd say we homeschooled him for the time that, that we were on the road. And, and that was a great way to save on money. We were paying <laughs> way too much money for some daycare slash preschool here in Northern Virginia. And so when we hit the road, we're like, oh, we're going to lose our income on our jobs. Well, God, we don't have to pay for daycare now. So that was a big one. Um, and it, and it was wonderful because, you know, like preschool daycare, like they just, you know, I mean, they need some basics. Like I was, you know, teaching him how to read and, and do a little math. And, and now he reads, which is phenomenal. I'm very happy about that. Very, very proud um, that he can do that. So there's some book stuff, but, you know, so much of it is just experiential learning. So, you know, he's learned to surf. He knows how to climb. He goes to a climbing gym. He has his own harness and climbing shoes. What else has he done? Uh, you know, all, all kinds of outdoor adventures. He's He's gone on backpacking trips with us. He has a trail name. You know, he's, he's been on glaciers, been to 30, 30 national parks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he will not remember a lot of that. Like I have to show him the pictures cause he was like three when we started. That's okay. It's, it's built into him. He's become so much more of an adaptable person, easy to make friends with stuff like that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really, I mean, here he is almost about to turn six and he's has way more experience than a lot of people will get their whole lives, you know? True. True. And I, he's either going to love or hate travel, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> either he's, we pushed him too hard. Or yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I kind of want to touch on some of your off the beaten travel things that you've done, some of your hidden gems. But I want to touch on some things that I saw on your website first that you've done. And if you can kind of just share some background and some things like that for us, if you don't mind. You were engaged in Bolivia yeah. by some lake or something. Can you tell them, kind of give me the backstory on that? 
Sure. Yeah, it's a funny one. Before we got engaged, you know, I, I like to travel a lot and, and my wife likes to travel, but she wasn't, she hadn't done that much. And so I wanted to take a trip together. So we went to Spain, it was like a safe sort of thing. And then we went camping in Yellowstone and we, and I, and I was like, I'll push it even for, she had never been camping in her life. And I pushed it even further. I took her on a, and a backpacking trip in the back country of Yellowstone, which of course there are, there are lots of grizzlies. <laughs> So we did that. It was really cool. We, we camped in this hot springs under a waterfall, which is in the southwest corner of Yellowstone, a really cool area called the Beckler region. And that went okay. We, we sort of didn't sleep <laughs> those nights because you're, you know, you basically have your bear canister like in your hand, right? And then I was like, you know what? This is the one. She can, she can travel. She's got it all. So, so let's go adventure down in Bolivia. And we'd heard about this Salar de Uyuni, which is kind of like the Great Salt Lake in utah but but it's in bolivia and and there's a lot of other cool sort of geothermal geyser activities down there and it looked amazing and see the sunrise on this little island with a bunch of cactuses it's cool so i was like yeah, we both looked at that being like let's do it and so we did it and and so the first thing you do is you fly to la paz which i think is the highest capital city in the world i could be wrong it's very, very high. It's something like 12,000 feet. Like that's the city. That's pretty wild. It's very, very high. And so you like you fly to Denver, you're already getting a little dizzy. Like just imagine going there. You arrive and you've got this like earth splitting headache. And so the, the plan was that we were going to spend one night in the capital and then take a little bus to Lake Titicaca, which is on the border with uh, Peru. And I was going to propose there. I got the ring and everything. And I woke, I was doing the morning. And so I woke up in the morning. I was like, okay, this is my moment. And man, I couldn't lift my head out of bed. I was just like, it was like a worse than a migraine. <laughs> I'm going to take like five Advils and, and go back to bed and see if it's going to work again. So that I, I did. And I think maybe I took three Advils. And then I was like, okay, let me do it. And then I have a little, I, I, I think I put my phone on video, but I, I pointed it the wrong direction. <laughs> and I proposed and yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I had like a mild headache all day. So, uh, Pisco sour probably, uh, made it worse, but yeah, anyways, that's, that's the story. Yeah. Bolivia, Bolivia and Chile is a magical place. Probably one of the coolest places I've been. That's awesome. Very cool. Lake Titicaca. Is that the name of it? That's it. Yeah. And then kind of rolling right into that, you obviously get engaged then you get married. I read that you got married in Italy but it sounds like the guests were like paragliding and there's some off and on waterfall or something. I want to hear about that because I was like, what, what's this? Yeah, it was really, really fun. Yeah. We had a four day wedding because we, we dragged everyone to Italy, <laughs> which is, which is great by the way. It was like half the price of organizing a wedding in the United States and everyone wanted to go. We got 91 people, I think, because it's Italy in the summertime. It was like, cool, let's do it. And it was in a castle. We got married in the castle and, and that was, you know, pretty affordable to rent, honestly. Well, way, way more affordable than anything in the Washington DC area. We're like, okay, we're going to bring these people all the way here. Like, might as well do something fun. So we found this park. It's called Monte Sibillini. Absolutely gorgeous. It's the truffle capital of Italy. So these truffles and then lentils, lentils and these beautiful wildflowers. And then you can also paraglide from mountains slash hills, like across the valley. And it's super picturesque. I have a, a couple photos and reels on my Instagram from that. So something like 20 guests said, yeah, let's do it. 
And thank God nobody died. <laughs> uh, I, I, I only later realized like, uh, you know, that paragliding is not maybe the safest thing in the world, but whatever we did it. And I mean, you, I mean, it was tandem, right? I mean, you're going with an instructor. So, but it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was, it was great. And yeah, then there's this other uh, waterfall that the Romans had built. And so it, it literally turns on and off and they, and they turned it off when we were there. It's like a waterfall. And all of a sudden there was like no waterfall. Pretty, pretty fascinating. And, and it was from Roman, Roman times. Man, four day wedding celebration. And what year was that? So nine, nine years ago. Yeah. Nine years ago. Okay. 2014. Mm-hmm. 2014. Wow. The other thing I saw that you did Cotopaxi in Ecuador hiking hiking that yeah yeah that was a really uh fun adventure so we love to hike and so we said to ourselves you know what let's go like climb a mountain it's like yeah yeah let's do it you know like we go to the gym we'll be cool (laughs) and we had no idea what we were getting into we called this company maybe we emailed we just emailed the company we're like hey want to climb the mountains like well you really have to acclimatize we're like well whatever we're just there for a week so you know like, we'll be fine. And they're like, well, so anyway, we went there and it, I, Quito, Ecuador, the capital is, is a, is a very high city too. Not quite as high as La Paz, but it's, it's high. And so we get there immediately. We're like, Oh my God, like I'm feeling dizzy headache again. And like next morning, like we're climbing. It was like, Oh geez. So we, we climbed four mountains. We summited two of them. I was like throwing up sick on one of them. My wife thought she was going to get a heart attack on on the other one. And then the last one is Cotopaxi. It's a it's a huge volcano which overlooks the capital city. It's absolutely stunning and gorgeous. You can see it from from the city, and it's a real mountain. We had hiked the day before with uh, like on the on the warm up mountain with uh, we were paired. You always paired with somebody else, and so we were paired with this guy. So we're having breakfast with him and they're like, oh, have you done some climbing before? And we're like, uh, yeah, you know, we love, we love hiking. That's what I think was my answer. And, and, we, and we turn to him, he's like, what about you? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I just finished the seven summits. And we're like, what's that? And we're like, yeah, yeah, the seven summits, you know, uh, Mount Everest and the highest <laughs> mountain on every continent. We're like, What? <laughs> So we climbed, we made it. I will say we made it to the top of this mountain that was 17,500 feet, 5,000 meters. moly. Yeah, 5,000 meters. But it took us 13 hours to do. And these people, like this guy and his wife, did it in like six hours. But we shared a vehicle. So they had to wait in the car for us for seven hours. (laughs) It's very embarrassing. So then the next day, we were off to climb Cotopaxi, the, the big, the big volcano. We attempted and it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a serious push. So you, it's one of those ones where you have the alpine start at, at night. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, get some sleep in the daytime because we're going to start our hike at, uh, at 11 PM. Like, great. So then you, and then you climb because you have to avoid sort of the avalanche risk in the, in the daytime. And so we got our, we got our gear on, we got heavy backpacks and crampons, everything. We probably made it like about three hours. And then we really felt the altitude sickness and we were getting really dizzy. And so we just, we, we weren't with a guy, but we, 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 we found a guy and we're like, dude, we got to go home. We, we got to turn back. 
because we're starting to get in this like deep snow and stuff. So at least we summited that one mountain, even though it took us thir- 13 hours, but we never made it to Cotopaxi, but it was a great experience, uh, you know, and now we know to prep for mountains. So, so you went up 17.5 yeah. on the prep mountain. Cotopaxi, what's the elevation of that? It's the same as Kilimanjaro, 19,800. Holy moly. Okay. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. I remember going to Mount Evans in Colorado, just and we drove up because it's like the highest paved road in the United States or whatever. And and it's at 14 something. And I remember just like walking around, just having a hard time breathing. I don't know. I don't know how you did that. That's amazing. And then you said you were throwing up. Your wife feels like she's going to have a heart attack. So with all of that happening, why do you keep doing it? Pushes you out of your comfort zone. More fun. No, I, I, we love it. I mean, I, I would do any of those things in a heartbeat again. I would just prepare more for them. So we did, after that, attempt to climb Mount Hood in Oregon, which is only, I think, 11,800, something like that, or maybe 13. I can't remember. It's much shorter, but it but it's still high. And so, but for that, we we like trained, you know, we were like doing a lot of hikes with putting rocks in our packs and I was doing all this uh, stairmaster and this kind of thing and and so we we uh, we would have made it our, our guy we had a guide and he said we would have made it except there was a blizzard on the mountain and so every single person who was on the expedition turned back because it was it was a real whiteout blizzard but we we were like no we've trained we're ready for this so the guide's like okay cool we'll just set up our tents here and, and try to wait it out and so we, we stayed on the mountain in a blizzard. We had to wake up every half an hour to uh, scoop the snow off the tent to prevent it from caving in. And, and we melted ice for, for, uh, for water. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I love that. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Wow. It's fun see, talking to people like you who are adventurous because you do have this excitement in your voice. You know, you're just the excitement of it, even though it's tough and, you know, strange things happen. Look at these stories you have now, these things you can tell people and share with me, which I love. I love hearing these stories. So I think it's fantastic and it's just enjoyable for me to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Thanks. We, we, we hope to, we hope to keep it going. You know, we, we started full, full-time travel when we were 42 years old. So, you know, gotta, gotta stay alive. You know, the people that inspire me, we, we were on, we hiked um, Mount Baker. We backpacked Mount Baker in Washington last year with my kid. It was like, it was right around his birthday. It was fun. And uh, we, we met somebody who was 84, who was like a good 10 miles into the trail. And, you know, I think that my kid is probably the youngest person on the trail that day. And she was the oldest. It was it was a really awesome experience. I'm like, who am I? You know, I have no major health issues. Like, got to keep it going, right? I kind of want to hit on your the two things that you did for the last two years, the the RV living and then, then slow travel a little bit. So the RV living, you said that was kind of a little bit intense just because you're only you know, a place for one or two days, maybe three or four days. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me some of your favorite spots that you hit along the way and just kind of some some thoughts from living in an RV for a year. It was great. We all individually, my wife, my kid, and myself, we all individually say, I miss the RV, I miss the RV. We still have it, by the way. I think we're unfortunately probably going to sell it because we're, we're, we, we've decided to plant ourselves for the moment here. We, we will go on many other adventures later. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool because you can, it's, it's, a, it's a means to get to cool places that you wouldn't otherwise get to. And like, you know, the Badlands doesn't have a hotel in the park or the Bistai Wilderness in New Mexico. There's no 
there's nowhere to stay. Either you're in a tent and you're not going to sustain. I, most people would not be able to sustain themselves living in a tent for a year. I mean, that's, that's really hard. You could do it, I suppose, but I, I, it's sort of beyond my comfort zone. I can stay in a tent for a few days at a time, no problem, maybe a week or two. But, and I, of course, I have done for a week or two, but, but beyond, you know, for a year, like, I don't know. But the, an RV, like, you have your own bed as a mattress, a pillow, a blanket, a heater, you know, a fan if you need that. Yeah, like it's the kitchen at a shower. It's, it's pretty awesome. And so it gets you to all these places, especially out west for you. There's like so many public, uh, public lands. Out east, we really don't have the public land thing. And so out west, you, you have this public lands. You can just go park yourself for up to two weeks. Then you can move two inches if you want and then park yourself for another two weeks. And I loved especially going to places like that because the other adventurers, other campers, other RVers you meet. And, and RV is a very loose term. Like people sleeping in their cars, they convert their Subarus. You know, you have those people in like the, the van, the van life thing. You know, a lot of older women do that. I, I, I find that very inspiring. We've stayed in touch with um, some people like that. And you just meet a total different walk of life. I met these people who are called trainers. Like they they go on the back of trains, uh, freight trains, and, you know, they hit, they hitch a ride that way for free. And it's sort of this vagabond lifestyle. You know, people live in, you know, that town that's featured in Nomadland, the movie. Uh, what is it called? Quartzsite, Arizona. Quartzsite. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've been to Quartzsite? I've driven by there. <laughs> right, it. right. It's kind of like RV wasteland, right? But it's it's kind of depressing, but it's, it's at the same time really inspiring because you talk to the people there and it's, it's amazing. And what they do and, you know, they can live for... I think the the fee at Quartzsite is something like it equals out to like $5 a day or even less. And you can sustain yourself that way. But at the same time, I think that year for us, like we really wanted to go see everything, you know, it was it became a little stressful because, you know, they're just constantly moving and driving and like, where are we going to go? And And the first six months of our travels, we everything was planned like day by day by day. And that became annoying because then all of a sudden like, well, we have to be somewhere. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, this really cool park we'd never heard of. We can't, we can't go there because we have a schedule. So it was like, became work almost. And so we stopped. So the last half of the trip, we didn't plan at all. And so we just go kind of day, sort of a few days at a time, which was really cool because then we had the flexibility, but then you had this stress be like, where am I going? What am I going to do? Where, where are you? You know, they've, the, the world is too big. And so that, so we really liked kind of settling this year, like a month at a time. And we planned sort of three months at a time or something. So we had some, some knowledge and stability and we can really explore um, these places in, in a lot more depth. I'm glad you shared that because I was kind of going through my mind. It was how you planned this year of living in the RV. So you said the first six months was kind of planned day to day, but that got stressful. Almost felt like work. Like you said that, but then the second half was kind of more, more loose, but that stressed you out too, because it was, you know, what are we going to do? Where are we going? Kind of not having the plan. So if you compare the two side by side, just in that year of living in the RV, because I'm a planner, I like to plan. I like to have plans, but I've learned listening to this podcast. I've learned, Hey, it's okay to go with the flow sometimes and do some things. So I'm trying to adjust my way of thinking a little bit, but putting those things side by side, living in the RV, was there an advantage to one or the other? I mean, or was it really kind of evened itself out? I mean, what do you, what do you think? You know, I think they were all great, Jake. I think they were all good for the time. 
you know, one one thing that I have a, a big lesson for me of life in the last couple of years as we've been doing all this travel is, you know, decisions shouldn't be that complicated because really you should just listen to your gut and listen to what your heart is telling you. And, you know, when, when we decided on the RV trip, our, our hearts were telling us, we got to leave Northern Virginia. We have to leave our jobs. We have to go somewhere, hit the road. And, and that felt so good to get out. I mean, just remember that feeling of leaving the area it just felt very freeing. And then, you know, we did different things and that felt freeing. And, and now actually coming back here feels freeing. So, you know, it just depends on kind of what your, what your gut is telling you. I, I, for us, I think, you know, freeing up the calendar, so to speak, to, to go and, and, and be flexible and, and pursue those things that really seem to be calling you um, was, was really, really cool in the second half of that RV trip. Like we, for example, we had only planned on going to California for like a couple weeks. We, we had some people, some friends and family we wanted to see there. And then we were like, all right, let's go. Cause we were, like, the real plan was like Montana and, you know, all the, the whole amazing sites of the Southwest. And, and then like, I found a surfboard <laughs> and I was like, whoa, there's this whole other world out there. And we got my kid on a boogie board and it was just like paradise. Right. So that was, that was amazing. And then we saw the redwoods and found this place to go skiing inside Yosemite National Park. And, you know, it was just like all these like, like we we went to Yosemite on a whim. That was crazy, and then we just kept extending to the Firefall, but it was totally random. That's like where this light shines on. Yeah, I've is where this seen one falls. Videos of that. Yeah, very cool. Yep, yep. Wow. And so so that that was like totally spontaneous, and we didn't even know it was happening until we actually got to the park. They're like, "Are you here for the Firefall?" We're like, "What's that?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we we had those spontaneous, but the, but the RV thing is really cool. Be for, for really getting out to places that you wouldn't otherwise get to these really wild areas. And, and I, and I miss that because you, you really get to these places, you get to meet these people that you would never otherwise come across in your normal life. Go with your gut. You're getting me all inspired here. Just, you know, with everyday life, that's such a great thing to think about is going with your gut and trusting it and getting out there, getting out of your comfort zone. Like you said earlier, would you say that you're cooler the more you go out of your comfort zone if you go out of your comfort zone once a day or something? <laughs> so I think that's that's great, great words of advice. I appreciate you sharing that. Going on to the slow travel portion of it, I liked that idea because I like the idea of being able to explore where you're at a little deeper and having a place that you can kind of call home for a little bit. It sounds like you said, I heard. I thought I heard Seattle, I thought I heard Portland, a couple places in California, Santa Fe. Any particular area there that you were just like, wow, I'm glad we were able to stay here for a few weeks or a month or whatever it was? Every single one. I think that they were all really, really cool. And we will carry back amazing memories from all of them. I would say certain places are really phenomenal at certain times of the year. <laughs> and, then, and then there are those places where you can sort of have a great time at at all times of the year. <laughs> we started our our sort of slow travel thing in Montana. And that was, we loved that, you know, during summer. And like, we could swim, we could swim in the lake. We could, uh, I caught my first fish, haha, 40, 43, <laughs> I think I was, no, I was a 42 then. The 42, I caught my first fish. And then my son caught his first fish like a month later at 
five, uh, <laughs> or actually he was four, I think then. So anyways, and his fish was bigger than mine. Ha ha. So, <laughs> so that was really cool. We went on these hikes. It's a little south of uh, Glacier National Park on Flathead Lake. And there was a cherry spitting contest. My kid won the cherry spit, spitting contest in this uh, cherry festival in Montana. And so we won like this big bag of cherries. It was fun. We did all these hikes that are in a um, on the Native American reservation, the Salish Kootenai reservation. And that was really cool. We saw bear scat and bear claw prints, like, or whatever, claw marks on the trees everywhere. And then later we learned it was a grizzly protection area. We're like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, when the grizzlies come to the valley, you know, people like tranquilize them and then we'll, and then bring them up to these woods. I was like, really? We were hiking there? But anyways, <laughs> um, that, that was a really great experience. And then we went to Portland. You know, Portland is, wow, like the, the nature, it's kind of like Seattle, but the nature is like right in your face. It's like 45 minutes away or an hour. Like you can get to the beach, you can get to Mount Hood, you can get to the rainforest. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And the restaurant scene is really, really great in Portland. I think that the place that we, the two places we liked sort of that we would even consider moving to at some point would be Occidental, California, which is in Sonoma County. It's kind of a hippie area. It's in the Redwoods. And then you're next to all these amazing wineries and, and the, the food, the farm to, what do you call it? Farm to table food scene is just out of this world. Like every meal tastes incredibly fresh and really cool. And we actually lived in the Redwoods. In fact, we lived maybe too close to the Redwoods because there was a storm and one of these, uh, what they call the Wittermaker branches fell on my car and smashed up the car completely. <laughs> so we had to, we had to get it's some appropriate emergency. name emergency repairs. Exactly. the And they're like, Oh, you're lucky you didn't go through your ceiling. I was like, thanks. So we had, we like lost power for a few days and my wife's like freaking out. She had to work remotely. So it's like, how that's going to happen. But so that was one, but we, but we loved it. The people are amazing there and, and the food and the, and then you were, we were half an hour from the coast. So that was a great place. But I think the place we loved probably the most was San Diego County that, you know, the weather there is great. We love the beach vibe. Everyone's super friendly. It's a great food scene down there. I was out surfing like almost every day. My kid is boogie boarding. It was, you can do, there's a lot of hiking there. There's even slot canyons. So yeah, there's a lot of, lot of cool places out there, man. Just in one, one country. One country, one place. Yeah, San Diego's beautiful. I mean, that weather, you can't beat that weather. I love that weather in San Diego. Another, another place that we really liked, I will say, so it was like kind of a decision on a whim, actually, um, was to go to Mexico. When we started out the RV trip, we, it was not in the cards at all. In fact, we wanted to desperately to go to Canada, but the, it was like during COVID and they shut the border. We, we were sort of down, we were leaving San Diego and, you know, going towards Arizona. Somebody, there's a, there's a Lazy Days, that's literally the name of the manufacturer of my RV, <laughs> it's called Lazy Days, and there's a Lazy Days listserv, and somebody right at that time posted... Her name is Desert Diva. That was her, her. It's like one of these really old school messaging boards and like text only, no pictures, no. <laughs> anyway, it's like the opposite of social media. And so Desert Diva posted like, hey, if anyone wants their RV repainted, there's this great shop in Puerto Penasco, Mexico. We're like, what? That's so cool. So we called the shop. This guy spoke like no English and I spoke no Spanish. And But Desert Diva vouched for it. So we're like, we're, we're sitting in Yuma, Arizona. So we're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go. 
So we just went. And yeah, we have to supposed to get some kind of insurance to go to Mexico. So we did that. And it turns out that was probably a total waste of money. We went and we just, we, we literally rolled up at this guy's shop and said, hey, can you repaint our RV? And they said, sure. Yes, we can do it. And how long is it going to take? Oh, eight days, maybe nine. So we're like, okay, when can you start? Oh, I can start now. So like, okay, great. So where can we stay? So like, well, you can stay in the parking lot. So that's what we did, man. We stayed in this dirt parking lot for nine days in Mexico. And like these people were blasting the music like at two, three in the morning <laughs> as they were painting and, you know, stripping the paint. And it was, it was awesome. We loved it. There was uh, we went like swimming every day. We went, what do you call it? Stand up paddle boarding. You could buy the shrimp. They catch shrimp. Like most of the shrimp we get in the United States comes from there or a lot of it. And so you get it fresh off the boat, the best shrimp we've ever eaten. And people were super friendly. It was very safe. It was a blast. So yeah, that was another. One of the next adventures that we want to go on is to replace our current RV with a, a truck camper and do the whole, the whole Central and South America thing. So that would probably be another year or something like that on the road, maybe more. So at some point, at some point we'll do it. I, I just don't know when, so, but <laughs> we will. Wow. It's just amazing hearing what you're doing. It sounds like you're, you're living a life fulfilled for now, you know, I mean, with more to come and more to do and, and you want to keep progressing and moving along. Before we kind of wrap up here though, I did want to touch a little bit, let people know a little bit about your website, what you're doing there, a little bit about your book. If you don't mind, just kind of give a little, little ad for yourself and what you got going on, if you don't mind. Okay. Thanks for asking Jake. Yeah. So I just, launched this website yesterday it's called off the beaten travel and that's that's the dome that's the the address off the beaten travel.com it's what i call a hub for hidden gems and so we love to travel off the beaten path and that's that's really our passion we hate visiting you know the eiffel tower or the washington monument or the you know the top five things you'd find on TripAdvisor or lonely planet we like to go to those places that are real authentic you meet the real people you get a real flavor for you know what the what the actual location so you actually feel like you're traveling and you're not just you know being at in your own town and eating at the same restaurant chain that you would at home and so uh we've created what we want to make as a as a hub for such things. So we have like top 10 countries to visit in 2024, top 10 cities, hidden gems. What else? We have hidden beach locations. I've got six, no, sorry, seven hidden gems in Africa. We have a number of places in Latin America. I've got hidden gem wineries, a whole bunch of stuff. But the, but the thing that I and most excited about really is that um, the, the community aspect of this. So we have several guest blogs that are, that are coming on and, and I'm talking to a bunch of people about uh, doing others. So in the next couple of weeks, we will have hidden gems of Abu Dhabi in the uh, United Arab Emirates, Uzbekistan, Southeast Asia, Korea. I was talking to somebody today about Indonesia, other places in South America. So there's there's a lot coming and and you know and and you can there's like a, a form on the website you just click and you say hey I want a guest blog about X topic or or here's a hidden gem tip in my city that's kind of the the idea you know there is something out there called Atlas Obscura which is for really obscure places which is a really cool thing in and of itself I think the concept of of our website is more uh, places that are 
that are not totally hidden and are not obscure, but but that are not the obvious places. So I will do a Hidden Gems Washington, D.C. in the next couple of weeks. We live for Santa Fe. We live in Santa Fe, so I'll do a Hidden Gems Santa Fe. So not sort of like the downtown plaza of Santa Fe, but, you know, here are some cool restaurants that mostly locals go to, but, you know, that are that are neat. And then we all, we'll have a newsletter. You know, please go to the website and sign up. And then, and then you know, every time we post, you know, like once a week or once every two weeks, you'll get uh, an email with the latest stuff so you can think about your trips. And, and you can always ask me. I'm, I'm the person behind it, Sasha at offthebeatentravel.com about if you have any feedback or questions or something like that. My website is not big enough yet, so I don't, I'm not inundated with a zillion requests. Uh, I post a lot of the stuff on Instagram. My Instagram is Sasha Traveler, pretty easy to find. And yeah, my wife and I are writing a book. That's kind of our next project. The working title is Travel More, Spend Less. We had a budget of $36,000 for the year for for our year of RV travel, and we stuck to it. Um, a lot of people's uh, concept is basically that, you know, oh, I can't travel because I can't afford it. And you're like, well, wait a minute, maybe maybe you can. I think what we learned is, you know, once you leave your your sticks and bricks house, there's so many ways to save money. You're not like double paying for like if you go on a vacation trip from your house, you're still paying your rent or your mortgage, and then you're also paying for a hotel. But if you go and travel full time, you've eliminated that first expense, right? And so, like when we were, we were in Hawaii for two two weeks, and it was like no more expensive than as than we lived at home, literally. We would shop at Costco. Actually, Costco Hawaii is a gold mine. <laughs> <laughs> they had the most amazing fish I've ever eaten in my life. And, uh, and the prices are the mainland prices. So, you know, there are all these ways to, to save. So anyway, it's not just about money. It's about a whole bunch of different things. How do you plan it? What about schooling? What about working remotely? So we did, you know, so we'll have chapters on all these things. Sustainable travel, um, responsible travel. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I'm, I love what you're doing. I've enjoyed looking at your Instagram account, checking out your website. You got a lot of great things. So yeah, definitely everybody listening, check them out. Check out Sasha and what he's got going on and share some of your thoughts with them. They, Like I said, they have the form where you can share some of your thoughts of maybe some hidden gems or if you want to send in a blog or whatever, just reach out to them and definitely get on that. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, please do. The, the community aspect is so important. No, I was going to ask you, uh, you live in Utah, Jake, so... What is your hidden gem of Utah? I, w- I want to know. <laughs> I need to get out and see Utah a lot more. I've only been here for a couple of years now, but there, there's a lot of great, great places here in, in Utah. I found a couple of trails that I like to run on. I've been, I'm going to do another half marathon again. And I love these little trails that run right along the river. There's one, the Spanish Fork River Trail, which is just beautiful. And it's, you know, not very crowded enough people to where it gives me enough energy because I like seeing people running and, and biking. Those are the kind of things I love. I love just, and it's real close. I mean, super close. I can get there easily. And that's the kind of thing I like of these little trails and these different things. And I want to get more out into the mountains and see some things and go up north. And there's Bear Lake and there's so many different places here in Utah. So thanks for asking. I think there's a lot of, a lot of hidden gems right here close to me. That sounds great. And this is a half marathon of trail running or it's, you're just training on trails? It's a road running. I'm just training on a trail. And the trail, it's, it's like a, it's a paved trail, but it's most just for bikes and walk walkers and runners is what it is. So cool. I love it because it's beautiful views and right along a river. And there's another little one that's kind of up on the base of a mountain that I like to run on. And that gives me energy that makes me feel fulfilled. That's great. That's great. There's, there's a place we, we have, we did not spend enough time in Utah on, 
in these last two years. We've been a couple other times before. There are some places out there. I, I don't know. It's, it's like Valley of the Moon, something like that. It's in the south. Goblin Valley, maybe? maybe well, maybe there, that, that one too. Yeah. Which, which looked really amazing. And, and we saw some amazing places. We, we spent a couple of weeks in Page, Arizona, which is right there on the border. And, you know, we, we went to some pretty awesome places there. But, I, I, you know, I think if I were to go back, we, we would spend more time um, in some of those places. And we, we parked ourselves in Durango for a little bit in Colorado, which is really cool. And that was, that was very close. So then we went to like Moab for the weekend and, you know, did the parks there. But that's pretty like on the beaten track, so to speak. <laughs> Moab, right? <laughs> right, um, Moab, yeah. Canyonlands, and, and, arches, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dead horse. So, but there's there's a lot more there. So I, I would love to, in fact, like the people, like our friends out in California, that's where they would go. That was, they were, Utah was like the place that inspired them the most. And they're like, oh, we're so in love with Utah. It's funny. And they were right there on the beach in California. You'd think that, that that's paradise. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to go back there. But I think, I think probably our next big journey is probably abroad somewhere and and we're our next trips like i'm taking uh, my mom to portugal next week she's her dream to go she's 85 and so i really wanted to, to to be able to do that for her so we're doing that um and then puerto rico and then ethiopia happen in december so and i want to get to more of these like abroad places that i like our our two weeks in mexico were like so eye-opening and and really like the adventure really starts there right? that's like kind of how we felt and so I'm, I'm dying to get this truck camper as soon as i could tear my wife away from her job which she loves um <laughs> <laughs> and we save enough money we because it'll cost more than thirty six thousand to uh spend a year in south america i think so yeah thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts any last minute thoughts you want to share about you know getting out there and being adventurous before we we let you go no i think uh, I guess the, the only the last thing I would say is if you're thinking about doing something adventurous, like just, you know, go and do it. Go try some things. Big trip, like a year long trip that takes a, some time to plan, you know, for for a lot of things. A lot of it is just taking the first step and actually going and doing it. You can always like over plan and overthink it. And I think that's one thing that we realized when we were on the road is like, well, wait a minute, we, we actually don't have to book every night. In fact, it's probably bad if we do. And just get, get, getting the experience of traveling will will help you. Right, and not just traveling, but you know, anything, any adventure. I mean, you're doing the half marathon. That's 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 a huge adventure in and of itself. Like I, that's way beyond what I can do. It's very convenient when you have kids because you're like, oh, my kid can only do seven miles. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> Use them as your excuse, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I can't go on that like, you know, 20 miler with you. I, you know, my kid. So anyways, joking, but, but it, you know, just go and try that adventure. And like, also for our kid, like we took him camping for the first time. He was uh, seven months old. Um, and then we took him like for a bunch of camping in Yellowstone when he was 11 months old. I can't remember the, I think the first backpacking trip, he was like one and a half. And, and, and that was like, I, I think those times were easy because he was light. Like he was like <laughs> super maneuverable. Like it was great. Now it's like he's 59 pounds. We're like, oh, how am I going to carry this guy? Yeah. Just, and, and now he's much more adaptable. A lot of friends of mine will say, oh, we don't want to travel with our kids until they're eight. I'm like, well. Then it's going to be harder to travel with them when they're eight. Anyways, just a, just a thought. Sasha, thank you so much for coming on Journey with Jake. 
Thank you so much for uh, having me, Jake, and have a wonderful weekend. Special thanks to my guest, Sasha, for coming on the show. I appreciate having him on. Appreciate his energy and excitement for getting out there and being adventurous. It's contagious. Really appreciate that, hearing from him. Check him out. Check out his new website, offthebeatentravel.com. You can also give him a follow on social media. It's Sasha underscore Traveler. Check him out. He's got a lot of cool things to offer, so check him out. Thanks to each and every one of you for listening to Journey with Jake. I really appreciate it. I would love it if you could leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. And I'd like to hear from you. Reach out to me. Follow me on Instagram at Journey with Jake Podcast. Send me a DM. Let me know what you're up to. Let me know what you'd like to hear about. Maybe if you have a referral of somebody who does something adventurous and you want to hear about them, let's talk about it. Get with me. Let's talk about it. Let's do this thing. Just remember, it's not always about the destination as it is about the journey. Take care, everybody.